I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high-quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hi, I'm Chanti. And I'm Lynx, and you're listening to Muses. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Muses and Stuff. This podcast talks about women in music. So what kind of women? Well, everything from groupies to wives to girlfriends to muses to women who make music and women who work in music. This week, our guest is Dorothy Carvello. Dorothy has such a fascinating story. Dorothy began her career in 1987 as an assistant to Amit Erdogan. That is the legendary Atlantic Records founder. She went on to become the label's first female A&R executive. And if you don't know what an A&R person does in music, she explains it in this episode. She also worked for a lot of huge names in music, as well as working at Giant, RCA, Relativity, and Columbia. So her book is absolutely fantastic. We got it sent to us when we were on our road trip to Nashville. I read it first, but I couldn't help but stop every two seconds to go, Lynx, read this, read this, read this. Maury Sterling, an actor from Homeland, said this about Dorothy's book, and I just have to read it because it really sums things up beautifully. Carvello's memoir is wild, sexy, bold, honest, and brave. 
If you don't know about the music business, it is illuminating. If you do, it is sure to be revelatory. It is an amazing testament to her experience as a woman in the complicated, fast-moving, abusive, and compelling world of business and rock and roll. An important read in today's climate in the workplace. And you betcha, we did talk to Dorothy about this book coming out in the time of Me Too and Time's Up, what that means for her, what that means for women, and what that means for women in music. We talk about so much in this episode, including Dorothy's early life, her entire career, and what she's up to now. We hope that you go and read her book, Anything for a Hit, an A&R woman's story of surviving the music industry. And even though this sure is a story about survival, Dorothy doesn't consider herself a victim. Tune in to find out why and to hear so much more about this fantastic woman. Enjoy the show. Okay, well, we want to sincerely thank you for writing this book, Anything for a Hit, an A&R woman's story of surviving the music industry. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Oh, it's it's our pleasure. We're so excited. Yeah, and as we said, Shanti and I both really related to your story, and I think all women will be able to relate in one way or another. Um, you know, it, it's it's so important to be having these conversations right now, especially. So, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, we're really excited about oh. this interview. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for being one of them, you know, leading the charge and i know we can all like get so fired up about this on a daily basis so let's get into it <laughs> okay all right we're going to actually um start with your childhood and it's um okay. yeah in the book you talk about your childhood you say i felt rejected at birth just by being female it wasn't something cherished or honored it was a burden to bear the message was men live for themselves and women live for men. Now, you learned the double standards in life at an incredibly early age. Can you talk about how the social construct affected you growing up, how it affected your life? Um, sure, sure. Uh, in my family, um, you know, women were treated with no respect and you were just really a piece of property, and I remember my earliest memories as a child were just doing housework. You know, I had to do housework. It was automatically assumed because I was the girl in the family that that was my role, and my brothers didn't have to do housework, and if they were asked to do it, they just flat out refused and had no consequences to it. Yet, when I tried to get out of, you know, doing the dishes because I was too small to reach the sink, you know, I got a couple whacks on the ass by my mother, and, um, you know, I had to do it. And I realized at that time that the boys got a pass and the girls didn't. And I think doing housework, you know, besides humbling, it's also necessary. It's a part of life that both men and women have to do just to survive if you're going to know how to take care of yourself. So um, that was it. And you didn't really get a chance to have dreams or ambitions. And if you express them, they were immediately shot down where the boys weren't. You know, I had a brother who was an artist. He was a very good drawer and painter. And he went on to become an engineer and painted on the side. But I remember 
even though my family didn't have any money, my mother's speaking about how she would find a way to send him to art school in Europe because, you know, he had talent. But it was never assumed that I would have any talent. You know, it's just like, well, you're dumb, you're stupid, nothing's going to happen. The best that could happen was you get married and you assume some kind of role through a man. Wow. And that just wasn't me. As a child, I was always independent. And I spoke my mind, which was another thing that didn't serve me well (laughs) until now, (laughs) that as a woman, you were not allowed to speak your mind. And I didn't understand. You don't understand when you're six, five, and six, and seven, why you can't just say what's on your mind, you know. And uh, it just wasn't accepted for a girl. It just wasn't. You know, and we I come from an Italian Catholic household. And that's the way people were. You know, the woman walked two steps behind the man. Yeah. And even with this, you always had this really intense dream to work in the music industry. Um, You kind of suppress the idea of it ever being a lasting career. There's a quote in the book when you meet or when you have an interview with um, Emmett Erdogan, you say... Um, this was my one shot at freedom before I inevitably took on my mother's life. How do you explain your unwielding drive to try, even when you were raised in the environment where people are usually broken down like that? Well, I think that it's just you can't suppress one's personality, whether you're a man or a woman. And as you know, being a teacher teaching children their personalities are formed at an early age Mm -hmm. and I remember my mother telling me I was in a sandbox when I was young maybe two or three playing with a little boy and he slapped me in the face and she said you didn't cry you got up and then you just smacked him right back so my nature is always to just I was just a pusher and I just felt um you know, just keep pushing, keep pushing. It's just, I didn't want to be a housewife. I didn't want to get married. I didn't want to have children. So my other alternatives, I wanted a career, you know, to support myself, but also to have creative outlet, you know, for what my passion was, which was music. So, um, and you know, I have, I had and still have a lot of ambition. And when you have ambition as a woman, you know, men are afraid of it for some reason, and they fear it. And it's almost like they don't want the competition, you know. But I never had a sense of entitlement like the men. Just they have all the confidence, and the world is their oyster in a way. And they just persist. When they hear the word, no, they keep going. But I was condemned to that and branded almost but just having ambition, the same as the men. You know, I didn't want anything different. I just wanted the same. I wanted equal a career, you know, job security, success, a house, eventually maybe a family. Um, but the men don't want that. You know, when, once they see the woman with ambition, they come after you. And they team up, which is very unfair. And something that you wrote a lot about in your book, yeah, that just reminded me of uh, don't take no for an answer or I don't take no for an answer. And um, as we know, that can be very problematic in many ways, especially in regards to 
men. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. But in the in the workplace, you have to be resilient. Right. And in life, you have to be resilient because if you're going to break down every time somebody doesn't agree with you or say no, then you never get up, you never get out of bed in the morning. Exactly. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. I'm, I, I, you mentioned, you know, teaching, I am seeing these things breaking down a lot in uh, younger, younger grades. Um, I'm on the safe and caring schools committee and I have, you know, they've given me posters that show um, young children and I even hesitate to say boys and girls because it's just children, you know, in in right. different clothing saying that there are no boys clothes, girls clothes, this and that. So I know that they're really trying to break things, these things down now. And then like our, right. our, our young people are growing up with a little bit more of a different perspective on these things than we might have when we were younger, which is great. But... Yes, right. Speaking of your um, role in the music industry, you were Atlantic's first female A and R exec. Person, yes. Um, yeah, A and R exec, A and R person. For our listeners who might not know what that is, could you explain it to them? Um, A and R people are the, are responsible for finding the talent uh, that's signed to the company. Uh, the bands, the solo artists, and then after you bring an artist to the company's attention and they get a recording contract, you're in charge of that. It becomes a project. In those days, the artists would record an entire album, and you would help them find a record producer, um, help them in the songwriting process. If, let's say they wrote a song and they were close to it or if they needed another songwriter to help them co-write it, uh, pick the songs that go on the album, you're in charge of the artwork, the cover of the album, CD at the time. So it encompasses a lot. You really, you not only bring the artist to the label, you just shepherd the project through the release, and then you're in charge of that artist throughout, uh, you know, your time at the record company. Because in those days, artists really signed for so many years, so many albums, the contracts could last almost 20 years. So if you lasted that long, you worked with that artist and, um, you know, saw them through the creative process. And it's the most important part, the most important part of the company department. So that's, you know, it's a very creative job and you go out and you see bands all the time, all over the country, all over the world sometimes, and, um, you know, bring the best talent to the company. It's such a awesome job. It's such a creative job. It's so understandable when you see all the positives there, why you'd want to be an A&R exec. And when you were at Atlantic, you were under Amit. And you talk about your relationship in the book a lot with him. Uh, your relationship with him really did kind of mirror a lot of abusive romantic relationships that we hear about <laughs> where, you yeah. know, like wanting to seek approval, even when yeah. they're like physically or emotionally abusive and you have a, yeah. yeah, you have a story in there about going to him about another coworker inappropriately touching you. And he like rips into him and, you know, made sure this person never touched you again. 
Um, and after having him stand up, you said, I was hooked. From then on, I would do anything for Amit, even if I knew it was wrong. And then you spoke right. about the duality of his acceptance, making you feel part of the family, while also talking about the dehumanizing work relationship you had on you know another level. Uh, you said, like, as if you were his servant. There's so, yeah. so often we hear, like, when victims come forward, you know, they do have continued interactions with the abuser. And you hear a lot of people, especially, you know, nowadays these stories are coming out, you know, why didn't she leave? Or, like, why she didn't have to go back? Or um, in Canada here, we had um, the Gian Gomeshi. Have you heard about that, Dorothy, no. about, about who Gian Gameshi is and was? Oh, it was huge for no. us here. Um, we're, big name at the CBC, almost like a Canada's sweetheart. And he had sexually, emotionally, et cetera, abused women, women that he worked with and women that he didn't work with. And uh, some of his victims had continued a relationship with him. And it was almost like their story was then like didn't count. And they weren't taken seriously because people didn't understand or couldn't make sense of that victim mentality. Why didn't they just leave? Right. Yeah. Well, go on. A, a couple things. First, I don't. When I I don't consider myself a victim. Um, however, I do. The purpose of the book was to describe just how abusive these men were in the music business and how they controlled everything. Almost like, um, you know, the five uh, mob family. And how I describe it more as they're narcissists, they're Machiavellianists, and in Ahmed's case, psychopaths. Mm -hmm. But it is an abusive relationship. It was an abusive relationship. But the thing was, I didn't know that, like when I started, I just thought it was my first real job in a company. Like, this was the way it was anywhere. Like, I knew it was wrong because obviously the guy physically hit me and I was devastated over that. And I did report that to the other higher ups in the company, but they don't care. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, I wanted to do this so badly that I compromised my own, you know, well being. But at that time, it's hard to understand. I was really like one of the boys. There weren't any women to go to or to help. And the men, they threw you under the bus anyway. But one thing I did learn about abusive relationships, because it was a theme in my life with my ex-husband, when that's all you know, you're not getting any more, you're not seeking any other kind of relationship, even subconsciously, because you don't, you don't realize it. And here's the thing. The abuser could do 10 horrible things to you. And then when he does one nice thing, you're like, oh, what a great guy. Mm -hmm. So it's a very heavy-duty psychological process. And it's also about control. So for my job, I work 12 hours a day, first as a secretary, more hours as an A&R person. So the common denominator is lack of sleep, which wears you down and makes you susceptible to this. But there was no other guy that was different. It was like they were all the same. So it, it didn't matter if it was Ahmed or the next one or the next one. They were all acted abusively. So you're in this giant abusive environment, and it wasn't until 
obviously when I got to therapy for myself that I started to realize, why am I drawn to this? You know, I couldn't understand the process. And also, until later in the book, when I went to RCA and met that one executive, I didn't understand that men could be, you know, normal and not be prejudiced against women for, you know, their intelligence and be polite and be professional. And I needed an example. I just happened to be one of those people. I need, I always have to have an example of everything. So, and at Atlantic, they weren't, they were all the same guy doing the same abusive, disgusting behavior. Wow. Yeah. Uh, when I read this book, Lynx and I were together. We were traveling this summer. We went down to Nashville. We went to Memphis. And on the way home, we stopped by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I had started reading your book. <laughs> Let me tell you, I had some mixed emotions. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. you know, the book is, like I said, it's to show the inside story of the music business. And the music business at that time was not about music. It was about money and throwing people under the bus and doing everything they possibly could. Um, and that's the, you know, the, the crux of the, what the music business was about. So Lucky it was criminals. Correct. It wasn't purposely throwing, you know, Ahmed is still an iconic figure in the music business. It doesn't take away from his accomplishments, but, you know, to be handing out awards like all the egomaniacs do to each other, they should take responsibility to their, their human actions and what makes these men tick. You know, they're motivated by lust of power. And they get crazy. And, you know, it's like uh, whatever you do to the least of my brothers. The woman is the first to get the bullshit. And they abuse men, too, but not as much or as badly as women. Right. And most importantly, I want to say we're abused economically. We're not paid anywhere near what the men are paid. And it doesn't matter. The men could fail, never have a hit record, never deliver. They get, still get paid more than the woman that comes in with the hit and delivers continuously. So it's grossly unfair, and that's the real uh, thing of the story. When is there going to be income uh, equality for women in the music business, in every business? And why are we tolerating this when we're over 51% of the population in the United States? You know, we're being paid 70 cents on the dollar to regular female workers in the music business, it might be, you know, the same, but it's nowhere near what the men, the men are being paid in the millions of dollars and the women are still in the, you know, maybe a six figure here and there, which I certainly never made six figures. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. 
Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. And talking about the trip that we had taken, we had this very conversation with the man. And he looked at us in the eye and said, I don't know what you're talking about. Every place that I've ever worked, we get paid the same. Again, I'm in the middle of reading your yeah. book. And I look at links and go, is this conversation happening? Yeah. 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 That's not true. And, you know, the men really need to start owning up. And another big problem in the workplace, and especially in the music business, is the minute the men make the money, the minute they get the title of president or senior vice president, usually president or chairman, they take their wife out of the workforce, which is fine. You know, not every woman wants to work. There's plenty of things to do if you want to raise your children, you want to do charity work. I'm not condemning that. However, the women are not coming home anymore with the horror story. I didn't get paid for this. This guy inappropriately touched me. This man used foul language. So they're not hearing those horror stories. They they become in a bubble. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's really, you know, bad. Well, I really think, and we, you know, we believe that the timing for this book couldn't have been better. Um, and speaking of timing, you know, we do want to know uh, when did when did the writing process begin for you? You know, uh, five years ago, 10 years ago, when all of this was still happening, but it was just the best kept secret in the world. You know, I'm, right. I'm wondering if, if we hadn't have gotten the ball rolling on this conversation, if we, if it wasn't in our faces every single day, would the book still be out right now? Was an, an extra push? Did it naturally coincide with Time's Up and Me Too? Yes, I started, I've always written, um, kept diaries every place I worked, because obviously, especially at Atlantic, for me, I couldn't even believe any of that stuff went on. You know, it was like a movie every day. So what I did was, um, I really decided four years ago, I wanted to write my book, because I always thought about it, and I said, now I'm going to give it a try. So four years ago, I started to you know, find out how do you get a book published. So I found out the first thing you needed was an agent. So I started to meet and discuss my book with many agents, and all the agents are men. I got turned down by everyone except for one, and that one agent um, understood not only the music business, but he understood that the book was really um, a, a women in business book. And that this is what women have to go through in the business world. And that these guys in the music business happen to just be the worst offenders ever. So I started for two years to work with the agent before he would sign me, you know, writing the proposal. Because you have to write a proposal before the book. Because that's how the book companies decide whether they're going to, you know, option a book. 
So I kept writing for two years till he felt it was acceptable that he would sign me as a client and then um, submitted the proposal for sale in April 2017. And that month I got a yes and I signed my deal with Chicago Review Press. This was before Harvey Weinstein. Then I had a hand in the book written uh, in November of 2017 and I did. And then they picked when they put it on their release schedule. I had no control. So it really was just a coincidence that it came out with me too and signs up. But, um, you know, it makes it a, be- a more interesting read, more taken seriously. And, um, you know, it's exciting. People, the best part about it is people are ready to hear it. And the interesting thing is, 99% of the feedback I'm getting every single day from people I know and people I don't know, people in the music business, people who aren't in the music business, is that they love the book. It's mostly coming from men. I've heard from very few women. And the men are responding in droves, which is, you know, comforting. And because not all men want to act like this, want to hear stories. They want to hear the stories, but they can't. You know, they're disgusted by it, and they want change. They just don't know how to bring it about. And I'm hoping that as I start to speak around my book, you know, we can start to figure out how we're going to change all of this and make, you know, workplaces equal. That is so fantastic to know that it's had such a response with men, and they do want to see change. And, wow, that's amazing. Oh, Yes, they're, they're, you know, sickened. I mean, I get emails. But one guy was a lawyer who I knew peripherally in the music business. And he sent me like an email. He said, I've, I've been physically sick after I read your book. And he said, I've, I've been up to two nights, three nights. That's the kind of stories I'm hearing. You know, how did this happen? Why was this allowed? How do people get away with this? These you know, are... this is just. You know, unbelievable stories. Such great questions. You know, the book. Such great questions. Yeah. The book is resonating in the way that I wrote it. And that's what I wanted. You know, I wanted people to be disturbed. Disturbed. You know, and, um, you know, meaning that it should shock you a little bit. You know, yes, I read it. I write. I'm a funny person. So, you know, and a lot of this stuff is funny. You know, you're taking orders from someone on drugs, so he, naturally he's going to come out with funny things. Oh, but yeah, the book was I wanted funny. it. Yeah, I wanted it to resonate that, you know, if you're a man, you need to start stepping up and, and help affect change because women, we can't change it in the music business. The men control it. So we can only affect change with men. Yes. Yeah. Uh, they have to be part of the process. We can't just separate onto the woman's music business. Right. Uh, you know. Yeah. That's important. It's so important. And um, just starting from sort of the younger, the better. So having these men now, so, you know, I'm so lucky to have such amazing brothers, an amazing partner who are wanting to have these conversations with me who are taking responsibility for their previous actions, even though they are good men. They are, you know, we've mentioned the word consequences a few times here already. And so if these good men who are starting to have children are thinking these ways, then that's going to get pushed 
you know, down to our next generations. And then already in our schools, we're having these conversations about consent and about power and about equality. So, you know, we're hopeful. It's so good to know that, yeah, there are men out there who are listening, you know, and wanting to affect change. Yes, they are. Yes, they're responding. Like I said, it's been very humbling and very... um, Positive, and I'm actually going to write a story about it for Variety magazine. Mm-hmm. I'll let you know when it comes out. Yes, please do. Uh, yeah. Another aspect that we really found refreshing and inspiring about your book was the way that you combined your sexuality with business. When men write music memoirs, that's just a given. But with women, it seems to be like you either write a business book or you write like a personal book. It, it, it's one or the other. Uh, you wrote about both. Was that a conscious decision? Did it come naturally to you? Did you ever hesitate to include certain aspects, you know, worrying? Maybe? No. Yeah? yeah. No, I think when you write a book like this, due to, uh, and don't forget when I started to write the book, Doug Morris was the chairman of Sony Music. Um, I didn't know he was going to be retiring at age 80. They were going to carry him out of the building. But so all of these people are having A's off. These are active people, powerful men in the business. So there was no times up for Me Too movement. So my thought process was, if any one of these men come and sue me or attack me, they're going to come for me in my past. Um, you know, things that they knew about my past. I felt the only way for the book to work, because again, you know, men, when they first heard I was writing a book in the music business, they all became scared and they're like, oh, it's just going to be her criticizing all of us and blah, blah, blah. But I wanted it to be the real message of the book was this is just my story. But I wanted to be honest because when you're honest, that's what people take away. You know, I'm not saying, oh, these, these things did happen to me. What was my role in enabling these men? Well, how did I participate? What could I have done different? What were the lessons I learned? Did I go through all of this just not to learn anything? How did I grow? How did these men grow? Did did they grow? You know, in some cases they did, some cases they didn't. You know, but I felt that honesty is always the best policy. And yes, it's, you know, I'm a heterosexual woman. I love sex. And I did, you know, uh, go to bed with certain guys in the music business for certain things. Um, In my own mind, you know, to further my career or to take a shortcut or just because I was very much attracted to that person. And I realized, you know, that's a mistake, imitating the men. But it was something I owned. I'm not embarrassed or ashamed of it. Would I have to do things differently? Yes, probably. But, you know, um, I felt I had to put it all in there. Amazing. I'm so glad that you did. Um, yeah, wow. it was interesting how you said, you know, when you tried it out either further the career or just because it was a matter of attraction, you know, Lynx and I were speaking about, um, you know, you tried having, quote unquote, sex like a man, you know? Um, right, right. <laughs> and sometimes those relationships seem to almost be more accepted by your coworkers and by Amit 
as opposed to the other kind of relationships you were having. Like there were times, there were moments where you were like, you know, patted on the back for certain sexual relationships that you had. And there were times where you were chewed out because of them. Right, right. And, you know, all of them, I don't regret uh, any of them. As a matter of fact, I just had lunch in Los Angeles this week with John Kaladner. I hadn't seen him in many years. Oh, really? he's, he's not changed. <laughs> um, you know, the way he looks at women and everything, it's pretty funny. Um, but, like, I don't regret my uh, relationship with Michael Hutchins. I, somebody asked me on the ra- a radio interview, you know, was it unprofessional? I said, of course it was unprofessional. But I was. if I had to go back, I wouldn't have changed it. If I got fired for it, I got fired for it. You no know, there's certain times in life. Yeah, who would right. want to change Michael Hutchins? Yeah, like there are certain things in life, just as a person, uh, that, you know, I wanted that experience. And I he taught me a lot about sex. <laughs> so if not for him, I probably wouldn't know like, what men really like or want or in bed. So I always credit him with that. But he was also very supportive of my career. And was one of the men in the music business that told me that because of, you know, my ambition, that these guys are threatened by it, you know, and that they're they're just, it it was going to be so much tougher for me, you know, not to discourage me, but just in a reality, you know, meaning that these old school, you know, white men that were running the business, they can't take it if a woman wants their job or wants what they have. There's you know, gonna, they don't want to allow that. Yeah. There's going to be certain men who may listen to this interview and just automatically go, those three women are all man haters, like man shamers. And it's not that at Whatever. all. <laughs> I was, call- I was yeah, called the- that two nights ago on Instagram when I asked a guy to mind his continually ageist comments on our post. Yeah. It's called yeah. me a man well, look, you wrote, look. You're always going to have haters and opinions. And, you know, somebody asked me that yesterday. Well, did you read that negative comment? I said, look, mm-hmm. everyone has an opinion. You're never going to change that. You, I can't get caught up in people love me, hate me. I'm way past that in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, I accept uh, my life. They don't have to read my book. Don't buy it if it's offensive. Um, and whatever people think of me, I'm over that. So, and I'm happy about that because if you, I spent many, many years worried about what people think and it's just, that's just another thing to limit women, you know, oh, you hate men. People said that about me. That was one of the comments I used to get all the time. Oh, she hates men. I hate men. I'm spending all my days with men, you know, hating them. I helped all of them succeed. And they don't help women succeed. They they don't reward loyalty. Um, back then, nothing. And that was disappointing, but I don't hate men. And I laugh now when people say that. So, Yeah, that's a really yeah. good, uh, it's a good lesson to teach um, young people and, you know, young women to yeah. just don't, don't try to be liked all the time. Who cares if, if not everyone likes you? Yeah, because you please. They want women, women... You know, we're taught to please at the earliest stage, and that goes back to the approval. I couldn't get my father's approval. I couldn't get my brother's approval. You know, I couldn't uh, please my husband. I couldn't, you know, uh, I failed in a lot of my work relationships, personal relationships. But when you base things on approval and not, if you're not true to yourself, 
that's how people get mental illness, nervous breakdowns, begin drinking, have drug problems. You know, you, you really just have to be who you are, and that'll work eventually with a partner, and it will work with a job, yeah. and you'll be happy. Yeah, life is a learning process for everyone, and you yeah. you really can't, you know, continually be hard on yourself for, you know, learning lessons. Correct. Right. You have to forgive yourself. The men forgive themselves automatically. Mm-hmm. Women have to learn. You have to learn to forgive yourself. Yeah. You know? So... So talking a little bit about the fun musical aspects of your career. Um, you, uh, you were always able to see great potential in bands that coworkers would continually pass on only to have them succeed greatly elsewhere. We were just curious, where did your musical ear come from and what, do you feel is your biggest accomplishment um, career-wise? I just always loved music, even as a kid, and I can memorize lyrics, like, immediately if I heard a song. And then when I got to Atlantic, I learned how to do A&R because my office was right across from the head of A&R department. And then Jason Flom taught me much about A&R. He was my first you know, A&R partner, but I just had a natural ear for what could be played on the radio. And I was more of a talent scout A&R. Like I could hear what had commercial ability, immediate, like hits. And in a, when you do A&R, every department has like some guy that's the head of A&R and they push the paperwork and they're usually not talented like they come from some other area of the company and the thing is they don't want to they suppress your signings because it makes them look bad they want credit for everything and a lot of guys in A&R just find these you know new wave bands and not that they're not worthy of being signed but let's say they they need more time to develop like sometimes three years four years and they like that far out music. I just always like commercial ability because that's how we got paid. And it just happened to be the thing that I could hear the most. So, um, you know, it was always frustrating to me when you go coming to somebody with a hit record and they're not recognizing it, you know, because the company, the company only survives on hit records. That's how all the bills are paid for the entire company, not just the A&R department. But again, you know, the guys, they suppress you. They really do. So, um, and what was the second part of the question? Uh, your biggest accomplishment. Oh, my or, biggest yeah. accomplishment, I would have to say, is bringing Craig Kalman to Atlantic Records. He's still the chairman and CEO of Atlantic wow. Records, you know, almost 30 years later. Yeah. <laughs> Always spotting the talent. Um. You know, spotting the talent, I thought, I didn't get to sign Creed, but I thought that was the biggest thing, you know, because I thought they were just a great band, but I never got to sign them. Right. 
Um, one thing that you had mentioned was that, um, you know, it was detrimental to have no female role models to look up to. And Lynx and I have been right. so fortunate in this journey, you know, coming into our own womanhood here that we've been able to talk with so many women that we completely look up to, aspire to be like, and are inspired by on a regular basis. Um, I'm wondering what you're feeling inspired by, or if there's any person in particular that is inspiring you right now. Um, you know, I have to say there's no one person I'm inspired by. You know, I, I work for myself, so I'm out of that, you know, realm of people. There is one person in the music business that I, I really think is going to be, um, a dynamic presence as a woman, this woman who manages Kane Brown, her name is Martha Earls. And I think that she's just, you know, creative and a badass and a mover and a shaker, especially in a town like Nashville, which is very closed. And, you know, they don't play female artists on radio. They're really taking, you know, the women are taking a beating down there. It's such a, a close-knit thing. But, you know, I just get up every day and now with the book, um, it's it's a lot of, you know, pushing and promotion, and I'm just excited to just, I guess every woman is inspiring me because they want to hear these stories now, and even the men are inspiring me in a way that people aren't running away from this and saying, oh, who wants to hear this, who wants to hear that? People want to hear about it, and I think that, you know, it's just a time. Time's up inspires me. <laughs> oh, it's totally inspires us too um yeah it's time so you are doing your book tour you're having these conversations a lot um things get heated some people are still not understanding it some people are saying that they're already sick of it some people are opening up their own wounds and probably coming to you with their own stories how are you keeping calm and composed when having these discussions on a regular basis um, you know, you just have to. Uh, again, it's like if women show too much emotion, I mean, I'm passionate, but I, I, you just have to hold your own. And I'm I'm hearing from stories from men, too, that got abused by women, which is interesting. And I think that that's one of the points, too, that has to be made, that in the workplace, women imitate men, and that's really something that you shouldn't do. You know, you should just be yourself. And when you do attain power, you know, treat people with respect and dignity. And, you know, not make comments on how, how hot a guy is or they should, you know, things like that. Uh, guys don't like that either. And women shouldn't assume that they do like, uh, you know, hearing comments about the way they look and all that stuff, just like we don't like it. So my biggest thing is, I, I just listen. I'm respectful. I'm polite. I disagree when I disagree and, and, and leave it at that. You know, people, not everyone has the same opinion. It sounds like you're having uh, a lot of amazing conversations right now. And you told us earlier that, you know, men are responding in such a positive way and, you know, want to be out there doing the right thing. Do you feel like the Me Too movement is going to have an lasting effect on the industry and books like this coming out. And, you know, what kind of questions do you want people to be asking right now? 
Well, I think the Me Too movement is just in its infancy. We're just beginning um, to start. And it's my book's already had an effect because every time you open up one of the trade papers, women are getting promoted in droves. But the real change only can come from the top in the music business. And in America, we have three British men running the business. And until they, they've taken no steps towards educating their company and their staff. And I said in a billboard interview, and I believe this, that the music business needs to close down for at least a day, if not longer. And every single employee from receptionist to the, uh, you know, chief operating officer, uh, has to learn about unconscious gender bias because it exists. People aren't even aware of it, and there has to be retraining. You know, we can't be just sitting in our offices waiting for some woman to complain about a guy and then blow the guy out. You know, it, it, that doesn't benefit anybody. You know, we get rid of somebody who's an abuser. That's great. But let's also educate people that were trained at another time, you know, the older executives that are, you know, in their 60s, 50s, that we were brought up at the time I was brought up. Um, and let's re-educate people. Let's give them a chance to, um, you know, all work together in a better environment. And artists should be included as well. I mean, every single person related to the music business. But ignoring it and just promoting women as senior vice presidents, not in the, you know, real boardrooms where the decisions are made, is great for women. They advance, they make money, but it's not, we need those guys at the top is what I'm saying to affect change. We need a woman in that boardroom. And the fact that, you know, in 30 years, we haven't had one since I started really means that little has changed. So. Well, it sounds like there's some really wonderful things ahead for you um, in your life, in your career, and um, really looking forward to following this and see the places that you are going. Um, what is next for you? Um, can you talk a little bit about being in crisis public relations or uh, can we expect yeah, it? To, I, yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. Sure. Okay. Um, you know, I do crisis management, but not so much anymore. I do executive press. Um, I mean, I still have my business, but right now my focus is the book and getting out there. I want to do a college tour and begin speaking yes. about gender issues and payment of women in the music business. Like, for instance, my book is out. There's all these, you know, music college schools. I've not been asked to speak at one. So are they really serious about um, educating executives? You know, is the business going to, right now the business, everyone in the music business knows about my book. So many people have read it, but um, I'm certainly not being embraced. I wasn't asked to be on the Grammy task force. I'm the first person to write about inequality and abuse in the music business. So you would think I would have some expert knowledge on it. I've not been asked to be on that task force. Yet? So. Hopefully at all, you know, so we'll see like it's the same, you know, institutions breed corruption. It's the same people controlling the same thing. And until they really, you know, really at the top level start facing this stuff 
and, you know, how the business is run, very little will change. You know, the women are afraid to say anything about my book because, look, they have jobs. They feel like they're going to alienate the men, and it shouldn't be that way. It should just be an open dialogue, nobody attacking anyone. People should be free to, you know, have a safe place to report abuse, um, and not just in HR. HR is there to protect the company, not the person, not definitely not the woman. So, um, you know, we have to get rid of these NDAs and all that stuff and just get rid of these people. If you're going to abuse, you don't deserve to be in the music business reaping, you know, millions of dollars and being part of a bad culture. You know, the best part, though, is the business has changed. It's mostly based now on streaming less, very little physical product, so there's less corruption and abuse in that level. So we need guys that are used to working with women, and there are some, you know, when you talk to guys in their 30s, they have been working with women most of their careers, so they're not intimidated by it. So, you know, we need those guys out there, the ones that are going to give the women a chance and, um, you know, not be macho power crazed people yeah that toxic masculinity Trinity, gotta yeah, go just gotta yeah, go you know Robert, yeah with their uh, just they come in like crazy and they just wielding their power not for good you know and power you could use it for good or you could use it for evil it's a choice but that's what i intend to do i want to be speaking about these issues around the book and i think it's important and i think that um also teaching young women that um, you have to be resilient uh, because I find that the younger generation in the 20s, they, their I, attitude is great. They expect everything to be fair. And I think that's a great attitude. It's a great mindset. But um, sometimes it isn't fair. And you have to know how to adjust and navigate that landscape to succeed. Yes, exactly. Oh, nailing it, Dorothy. Um, is there <laughs> anything that we have not asked you that you would like to talk about? Anything that you wish that people are asking you in these interviews? Um, you know, I think we covered everything that it really hasn't changed on that and level and that so much. We're only in the beginning of a movement and we need people to be aware and you know, I would like to tell women, you know, don't be defensive. That's just bad. And just keep pushing and be yourself. That's the biggest thing. Don't imitate the male behavior in the workplace. Amazing. Wow. That's great. Yeah, that's great advice. And I can, re I think that that would be really beneficial for you to get on some um, college boards tours and, and boards yeah. and things like that. Um Spreading the message. Yeah. Spreading the uh, message. Yeah. I, that's what I'm working on. <laughs> and if it ever brings you to Toronto, we would be absolutely delighted to go and listen to you speak and meet you. And yeah, yeah it would be an honor. I love Toronto. I certainly hope all of our listeners are going to pick up your book. It was incredible. Uh, people, it's not just like a music industry story. This story happens in all businesses. Uh, yeah. It's... And it's a story that needs to be told right now. And thank you so much 
for doing Thank so. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to keep um, ourselves updated on what's going on in your life. And maybe we can touch base with you. Um, you know, like you said, this is just the, this is just the start. So let's see where this yes, goes. Start. We're Absolutely. here. We're here uh, cheering for you. Thank you so much. And I also have a website for the book called anything for a hit book.com. And as I do get my speaking gigs, all the press, everything is posted on that, all the updates. And if anyone wants to ask me any questions, I answer all of them that come through the website. There's an email address. So that's the best way to get a hold of you through the uh, website. Do you, um, are you on any social media platforms like Twitter or Instagram? Yeah. Okay. Yes. I'm all, I'm all of them at D Carvello. Perfect. We'll, we'll link all of that up in the show notes. Thank you for being this shining light for us. And let's just keep working. Let's just keep doing this. And um, we look forward to speaking with you uh, again soon, someday. We'll be in touch. Great. Thank you. And have a great weekend. Same to you, Dorothy. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. So there you have it, our interview with Dorothy Carvello. I told you she was awesome. So as she said, you can follow her on social media at dcarvello, and I hope that you do. And once again, I hope that you go and read her book because it's so important, not only right now, but just for always. It's such an important read. If you'd like to support our network, the Rock and Roll Archaeology Network, you can head over to the website rockandrollarchaeology.com. And if you're feeling so inclined to give a donation to their Patreon, it really helps out the podcasters. It really helps out the network. Go and check out what they've got in the uh, merch store. And of course, check out some of the other amazing shows such as Rock and Roll Librarian, The Art of Rock with Kosh, and real rock just to name a few i hope that you enjoyed today's show i hope that you're enjoying all the shows on rock and roll archaeology as always we are grateful for all of our listeners and if you ever wanted to send us an email or catch up with us on social media please do that we're at shanti and links on twitter at muses and stuff podcast on instagram and muses and stuff at gmail.com if you ever want to send us an email take care everybody and we love you Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.